Jim? Coop. I'm at the address you wrote down for the poker game tonight. This is a gas station. It's closed. There's no one around. And now my car is stalled. Now you gotta call me at 4663... Welcome to 200 Today, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. <laughs> As I was speaking, I saw Epi start to give like a nod like, yeah, that's right. You said it right. Mm-hmm, As I was mm-hmm. doing the title, and then he took a, a, a sip of his carbonated beverage uh, just in time. I was this close to taking, I, like, I brought it up to my lips to take a sip, and then I was like, no, I'm going to have to say something in a moment. 120-odd episodes in, and we're, yeah. we're, we're doing we're, great, is what I'm saying. We're professionals. We're, we're professionals. <laughs> but yes, indeed, we are here to talk about the Rockford Files, as per usual, and uh, as we are now on the smooth incline smooth decline decline the, the home stretch the home stretch something yeah. like that we uh as noted in previous episodes have a more of a schedule so our picks are basically what we've already picked mm-hmm. and so this time we are talking about season five episode 12 with the french heel back can the nehru jacket be far behind <laughs> i know people have been waiting for this one <laughs> As people go through the titles of all the episodes, they're like, I need to I need to learn what that's about. But I will not. I will not watch the, that mm. episode of The Rockford Files until I know that Nathan and Epi have watched it and are ready to talk about it. But now is the time. As is the best way to watch a show from the 70s. Yes. <laughs> I think we were also looking forward to it, at least on my part, because I remember it as being... Uh, the one with Renéa Beaujolais in it, mm-hmm. or however you're supposed to say his. I've seen some conflicting accounts on the internet of how you're supposed to pronounce his name, uh, but that's the most fun way to me. So apologies if you're supposed to. Odo, I think, is how you pronounce it. Isn't that how you pronounce how you pronounce it? It? <laughs> supposed to pronounce Odo? Uh, for similar reasons, but because uh, of a different guest star. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that when we get to that. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, and it's a fashion, it is in the fashion world, hence the fun title. We do we do see French heels and the Nehru jacket, so at least we have that to look forward to. Yeah. This is our final episode, directed by Ivan Dixon, as oh, we yes. have been finishing out the Dixon cycle, if you will. So we'll talk about him for a second. This one is written by Rudolph Borchert, uh, who we have talked about semi-recently. He wrote, or he did the teleplay for Say Goodbye to Jennifer, and he wrote A Good Clean Bust with sequel rights and A Different Drummer. A Different Drummer is the black market uh, organ doctor guy. Oh, wow. One. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which has the title that does does not make me remember it at all. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he also wrote Deadlock and Parma, which is the final episode. So we will not be finishing out his cycle uh, until, until we get there. Very closely. The so we have that to look forward to. But we're here to to celebrate Ivan Dixon, the last of his ninth episode, ninth episodes, the last of his <laughs> nine episodes that he directed of the Rockford Files. I've mentioned it a couple times as he's come up uh, as kind of a, a pretty interesting figure. So I figured I'd recap and talk about him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Has anything we've already talked about him uh, uh, stuck with you as we've gone through these? Uh, no, I was actually trying to think about that. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is no. No, no. The answer <laughs> is no. Uh, but uh, partly because I just don't have a very a, a tremendously discerning directorial eye. Mm-hmm. Like I, I notice things, but like I often notice the obvious things. And 
and whatnot. But I, I don't, I haven't thought of these episodes as having a particular style. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's probably probably fair. If you're looking for it, I think there's been some like fun camera work in mm-hmm. in them in various uh, places. This one has some really good transitions and like jokes in the cut and stuff like that. The very beginning of this one, I have a a, a question about it, um, which we'll get to in, in in a brief moment. But like we will get to it when we get to it. But uh, yeah, Ivan Dixon. Um, He's a, a actor and director. He was born in Harlem, uh, started acting on Broadway, and he was in the uh, original A Raisin in the Sun production mm-hmm. on Broadway. Ivan Dixon sounds like a person who's probably really interesting, but you have to do a little bit of work to get to the, like, I don't know, interviews or a biography right. or something like that, um, which I was not prepared to do for this particular recording. There's a tra- there's a transition here just from his bio where it's like working on Broadway, does a show with Sidney Poitier. He's a, a stunt double for Poitier in a movie called The Defiant Ones. And then after that, it starts getting cast in TV shows. So you kind okay. of like see like, I don't know if that's actually the transition, the but you yeah, can yeah. kind of like read that into there at, like, at least. And he uh, is probably best known in, in his role on Hogan's Heroes uh which i've never seen but is a very <laughs> is a well-known show <laughs> yeah um where he is a, a kinch the like kind of communications radio guy um but he was cast into some prominent twilight zone episodes as a black mm. lead which is fairly significant so as an actor he was in lots of things that were kind of like you know good like strong lead or supporting leads as a black actor mm-hmm. and his life seems to have been one where he was uh, a civil rights activist. He was pushing for uh, better representation for black actors. He was in a movie called uh, Nothing But a Man in 1964, which is like an independent film that apparently was his like his favorite role, like his he, he considers the peak of his acting career. And that's uh, about the black experience uh, in the South made by two white filmmakers who spent time in the South and did like worked with like sharecroppers and stuff. I haven't seen the movie. I don't really know exactly what the deal is, but it's significance seems to center around, you know, some white directors who went to the South actually saw how things were and then made this movie reflecting that experience with black actors. I feel like I have seen this film, but like, uh, Nowhere near recent enough for me to to, mm. to make any comment on it. Like I, I was just checking out the IMDb page that it, it auto plays some stuff <laughs> from it, and I'm like, oh yeah, it seems familiar. Yeah, yeah. It seems like he kind of transitions into directing from that time. So he's on Hogan's Heroes until 1970. He's apparently the only member of the of the core cast that left the show before it ended. So he left the show a year before it ended. Others have said it's because he felt like he wasn't getting um like being challenged enough essentially as an actor yeah. like it wasn't like a role that was really bringing a lot out of him it's, it's hogan's heroes it's hogan's heroes. <laughs> and yeah and then he starts working as a director after that mostly in tv he did some black exploitation movies uh including a movie in from 1973 called the spook who sat by the door uh which is based on a novel about the first black cia agent um who apparently uh-huh. led some kind of guerrilla operation in chicago this sounds like a movie i'd be interested in seeing i have not heard of it like i'm just not familiar with it apparently it was incendiary enough that it got pulled out of theaters 
So it was like a bomb at the box office, but then had like a cult has like a cult yeah. following. There's like a Library of Congress like registry of mm-hmm. like culturally Cultural, I forget yeah. what it's called. It's in that. Like it was put into <laughs> wow, <laughs> put into yeah. that. Yeah. But yeah, he was active in black arts development. He was president of uh something called the Negro Actors for Action, which was a activist organization um in cinema. Uh, he has, you know, tons of awards. He was posthumously inducted into the Black Filmmakers Hall of Fame, et cetera, et cetera. There's something where kind of looking at his bio and at the write-ups about him and a couple things from obituaries, seems like there's probably some pretty uncompromising stuff. Like, yeah. his, like his attitudes seem pretty uh, uncompromising and, and therefore interesting to me, uh, especially as he, you know, was a successful person in the field he kind of retires from directing in the early 90s and built a radio station in hawaii and then did that until he retired (laughs) (laughs) that's apparently like his actual like childhood dream was like running a radio station so he got to do that it's weird how my because my brain went to because you said built a radio station and it makes sense like that could mean several different things Mm -hmm. like uh like buying the building and put you know whatever and i just my brain went to making the antenna and <laughs> building the you know, yeah like mm-hmm. oh that's a that's a neat project to build a radio station from scratch <laughs> that's probably not what it well, was <laughs> i think he caused to be but my i i didn't really look into it i think but it sounds like it was like he built a new radio station in this area and mm-hmm. it's in like Kauai or something yeah like i doubt he built it with his own bare hands but yeah yeah as opposed no, to I, bought it or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah 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 but yeah so just sounds like an interesting guy so there were two things i wanted to call out one is that again just looking at his credits either his first directing credits or the first tv ones a little unclear from the timeline were directing nichols uh he directed four episodes of nichols which is the pre rockford right post Maverick. Maverick Western show that uh, uh, Huggins and Garner did. And mm-hmm. Juanita Bartlett came in as a producer from being uh, Garner's agent. And uh, Stuart Margolin was brought into it from oh. <laughs> having seen him earlier and wanting to work with him, etc. It's a foundational text yeah. that, you know, maybe we, we will look at at some point that I think it only ran for one season, maybe ran for two seasons, but like in all the kind of talking about the Rockford files, a lot of it is like a lot of the roots of all the people that work together were in Nichols. Yeah. Yeah. I'd forgotten about this. I was just looking at it again because of this connection. Cause I was like, I don't even remember what that show was supposed to be. <laughs> it was another Western. And one of the things that happened was cause it wasn't doing well. The way they tried to shake it up was they killed off Nichols, James Garner's character, <laughs> because he was like, too easygoing and brought in Nichols' brother, who is James Garner in a mustache, to be <laughs> to be the more like like high action like that's sheriff. Exquisite. That is exquisite. We might need to watch this this show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at some point, <laughs> just to see James Garner in a mustache. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm yeah. in. I am in. But yeah, he, you know, he directs lots of stuff, but he, you know, he did four episodes of Nichols, nine episodes of Rockford Files, 13 mm-hmm. episodes of Magnum P.I., some scattered stuff around the, around there. But those are like the main one. And he also directed some Hogan's Heroes. So that's probably his it, first actual credits when you think about it. I'm not sure. Two episodes of Richie Brockelman. Just saying, once you start seeing the connections. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So again, like with lots of the directors, it's kind of like it's TV. They're doing their job the way that they need to do it to yeah. put everything together. Like uh, it's it's often hard to see any particular or like artistic flourishes or anything um, in these as it from that side. But, you know, sometimes you have an interesting person behind the camera. So yeah. I wanted to yeah. call that out as as one of the many interesting people involved with the Rockford Files. I felt like I had to go into the theme song at that moment when you said that. (laughs) (laughs) That all said, we should get into our... Well, okay. We do need to get into the preview montage. But Mm -hmm. do we want to talk about the answering message before or after? Well, there's not much to say except... uh, And you've obviously heard it or we'll hear it i don't remember where we where we put it we heard it sorry if you ever listened to the show you would know where it was yeah yeah yeah. i'm waiting until they're all done (laughs) and then (laughs) then you can listen in order yeah yeah coop (laughs) it's coop coop's uncredited vocal vocal appearance he's not gone at this point yet no he just shows up in this season and then yeah no he's he's in this season and bo hopkins was in Nichols too so you know it's a whole (laughs) a whole thing so this is his second to last credit with the his final appearance being uh, The Return of the Black Shadow, which is later in this season. Right. Okay. So he's in three episodes, and then this is his fourth credit just for being on The Answering Machine. And this is our rap. So it's our rap, Hunky. <laughs> <laughs> yep. A surprise rap. Surprise we didn't realize rap. There it is. A little, little encore from Coop in our show. He's apparently getting stood up for this poker game. It feels like yeah. there's a story there because it's awfully convoluted. Yeah. Considering that uh, Jim and Rocky are just hanging out at Jim's <laughs> playing cards. But we'll get to that after our preview montage. Mm-hmm. All right. Preview montage. Okay. So uh, I, I really only have two things to say about this preview montage. And the first one is Jimmy Joe Meeker. Jimmy Joe Meeker. Like, you gotta love a Jimmy Joe Meeker appearance. A surprise Jimmy Joe Meeker. I forgot that he was going to be in this one. Uh, And then the second one is uh, Aaron Gray. And, uh, okay, so this is the same year that uh, uh, Buck Rogers is on the air. (laughs) I'm just going to say that as a child, I had a massive crush on Aaron Gray. I am not alone. There are many people of my age uh, where that is the case. Uh, but that like floored me when I saw that she was on this because I was like, oh, it's Aaron yeah. Gray. Her her only Rockford Files appearance. Yes. I uh, never would have noted, noticed. Let's say this is a uh, total generational divide situation. The, the Commander Wilma Deering. Uh yeah, that's all I that's that's just all I have to say about that. She she was like for for a, a particular brand of nerd of a particular age of a particular persuasion. She was, I, I think, almost universal. I remember a Gen Con probably when when we were doing um, uh, uh, Design Matters mm-hmm. um, where she was the guest at the Gen oh, really? Con. Yeah, and there was just this moment where I didn't know that she was the guest, one of the guests at Gen Con, and she was literally out on the floor, and I was looking over, and I was like, why is this woman so familiar to me? And then she <laughs> smiled at something, and that was like, I was like, I just flipped. Like, it was just this moment of like, oh my god, that's Erin Gray. That's Erin Gray. She's still working. Yeah, she's, she's out there. Yeah. Uh, she was great in the first season of Buck Rogers, and then she was in the second season, but they just did her dirty. Mm. Uh, second season of Buck Rogers, 
it was a like a, a 180 like there's a whole thing about it like you you could all look at, if you're not familiar with it you could just google second season of buck rogers <laughs> I, i'm trying not to swear <laughs> that's what's happening here her bio her mini bio here on imdb first of all she apparently was a model before she started yeah. acting so or she did both for a while this episode is going to concern models and she plays a person uh, well a former model who washed yes. out of being a model so i guess that's you know fun um <laughs> yes <laughs> but this mini bio ends with a great many women admired her commanding role as colonel wilma deering while many men admired her beautiful looks and shapely figure <laughs> imdb mini biography by a dot anonymous <laughs> <laughs> someone who shares your appreciation i feel uh may have written that that ending line see we all get to learn something in these little these little mm -hmm. conversations well yeah i guess the only other uh thing from the preview montage that i appreciated was the was a great line you should design exclusively for the dead yes that is a good line and i i think i Later on, every line that was in the preview montage that I didn't write down, I wrote down mm -hmm. when when they occurred in the episode because I was like, "Oh yeah, that was a good line." I should have I should have gotten over my shock. You were just you were just <laughs> so overwhelmed. You couldn't. I was so pay overwhelmed. Two hundred a day is a one hundred percent listener supported show. Thanks to our patrons. In addition to our gratitude and editing access to the two hundred files files spreadsheet, patrons receive exclusive episode previews every month. And plus expenses, our bonus podcast where we talk about media, work, and our lives. In addition, every episode, we say thank you to our gumshoe patrons. Brian Bernson has a Facebook page where he drives his Rockford tribute car to shooting locations from the show. Facebook.com slash Brian Rockford Files. Chuck Sufel's one-shot comic Sherlock Holmes and the Wonderland Conundrum is available at whatyourreadingpress.com. Find Dale Norwood's book, Trading Freedom, How Trade with China Defined Early America, Wherever Good Books Are Sold. It's about fast ships, cheap drugs, and American political economy, published by the University of Chicago Press. Join Mitch Hampton to examine all matters aesthetic and what it means to be human at the Journey of an Aesthete podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Paul Townend also recommends the podcast Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color, at fruitloopspod.com. Shane Liebling has all of your online dice rolling needs covered at his website rollforyour.party and check out Jay Adon's amazing miniature painting skills over at jayadon.com. Thank you to Andre Apignani, Tom Clancy, Pumpkin Jabba Peach Pug, Dave P, Dave Otterson, Kip Holly, Dale Church, Colleen Kelly, David Nixon, and Jay Thompson. And finally, special appreciation for our detective little patrons, Joe Greathead, Michael Zalisco, Eric Antenor, Brian Pereira, Jordan Brockelman, not Brockelman, Bill Anderson, and of course, Richard Haddam. If you're interested in keeping us going for as little as $1 an episode, check out patreon.com slash 200 today to see if becoming a patron is right for you. All right. Well, we start our episode watching not Erin Gray, um, <laughs> but another woman uh, running through the night. She's clearly panicked. We have a good kind of in, I guess, in media res uh, beginning here where we're yeah. watching her as she's trying to avoid something significantly she's wearing. So I didn't really realize what it was during the scene. But later, later, Jim says that she's wearing a hospital gown and mm -hmm. in retrospect, I'm like, oh, I guess that was a hospital. Yeah. Gown. Yeah. Um, 
and I think this is slightly significant. She also, but she also has her purse, like her night. I don't know. I was going to say like a real person's purse. There's a dissonance between she's in a hospital gown, but she has like her accessories are all like normal every day or for a model, as we'll learn everyday stuff. The content of this shot, like her running through empty streets uh, at night, lit by the streetlights, mm-hmm. uh, with the action music. Yeah, with the action music. I like my first note was, yeah, we're opening on Halloween, and then <laughs> I was like, when did Halloween come out? And it was the year before this came out. Hmm. So I don't know, <laughs> I, but I wouldn't be surprised if mm-hmm. if there, there wasn't a little Halloween going on here. Well, she gets to a phone booth and makes a panicked phone call. And that's when we go to Jim and Rocky at Jim's with some banter about their cards. <laughs> I like how much, uh, I guess, Rockford lore is packed into like, yes. these two sentences. And then we don't really, the rest of the episode isn't really about the uh, the Rockford averse in that way. I thought you were going to buy a new deck of cards. Well, I did buy a new deck of cards. But Angel's been playing with these. You know, he's always sitting there bending the cards and flipping them in the wastebasket. I had to borrow some from LJ. Hello. And that's when the phone <laughs> rings and Jim answers it. Oh. Uh, um, but this uh, it is, is, in fact, this woman. Her name is Carol. Uh, she's calling Jim. She's in trouble. She thinks someone's trying to kill her. Jim clearly knows who this is. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, asking her what's happening. Where are you? She sees a car outside the phone booth, drops the phone and runs. So Jim gives Rocky his phone, uh, says, don't hang up. <laughs> yes. uh, he's going to the restaurant to trace the call. We have this like seamless transition from Jim going out the door and Rocky on the phone saying, is anybody there? Yeah. To the payphone phone hanging down and us hearing Rocky say, is anybody there? Don't hang up. And then this cop answers it. And Rocky goes, I've been on this phone for 35 minutes. <laughs> Very economical. Yes, I liked it. That's when Jim arrives. Uh, he called the cops. You know, he's concerned about his friend, etc. He finally, you know, answers it, says, tells Rocky that he's there. <laughs> he can hang up now. <laughs> Rocky has an amazing line here. He's angry at Jim and he's like, I don't mind sitting here listening to my joints get stiff. <laughs> <laughs> Well, these two officers who responded looked around. They didn't see anything. They tell Jim that uh, you got you got prank called, friend. Mm-hmm. There's no evidence of anything uh, in the area. We hear over the radio a call come in, uh, 187. And so they say they have a priority call that they have to respond to. Jim, of course, is not pleased, um, but there's nothing he can really do. Uh, he's going to go to the hotel. He knows that she stays at when she's in town. We go to Jim picking a lock, going into an <laughs> ominously dark room. The sliding door is open, and there's a curtain billowing in the wind. Jim goes, checks it out, looks down, and we see yeah. the body on the ground underneath the balcony. He is too late. This is an episode where everything matters. Like, everything that we see and hear ends up being important right, right. later, um, except for the playing cards and... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Angel and LJ. Uh, so I and I don't know, maybe I just remembered that or maybe it's just how it's framed. But like when that 187 call came over, like it's very audible and clear. So like, I'm yeah. like oh, that's going to matter that like, you know, we heard them respond to that, like that kind of thing. E- even the fact that she has a purse with it while in a 
hospital is is important. Mm-hmm. It, that, that that's a clue as to well, I don't know about clue, but it makes sense in the in the context of the greater story. Right. Yeah. There's a bit of a mystery about it that then when it's resolved, you're like, oh, yeah. okay. That that explains that. Yeah. So we go to we have cops on the scene. I noted as a vaguely familiar seeming blonde guy talking yeah. to Jim. <laughs> Saying, uh, I don't understand, Jim, how a package like that goes out a window. This is Frank Dusenberg. Deuce. Or a deuce or deucey. Deucey, deucey, yeah. Who, I've, if we were watching these in order, we probably would remember. Because mm-hmm. he appeared in a slightly earlier episode. Kill the messenger. Kill the messenger. Seven episodes earlier. Yeah. So he's a new, he's like a new cop, basically. Like, yeah. he's new on the floor, or he's new out of... I don't know, cop school. We did that one quite a while ago, I think. Yeah, no wonder we don't really remember because uh, Kill the Messenger was our episode 44 <laughs> from January of 2019. So that doesn't seem like a real year. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so almost exactly uh, five Four years, years ago. ago. Five years ago. <laughs> five years ago. As as of when this one comes out, um, that's the one where uh, Dennis Becker has his lieutenant's exam coming up, and the deputy chief police commissioner murders mm. his wife, and Becker yes. has to deal with it. Yeah. So, like, that's also when he like becomes a lieutenant, and so that also is. We have a line in here later where Becker's like, "I should have not never let them turn me into lieutenant or whatever." Yeah, yeah. So there's a little continuity uh, there, but anyway, so we met this 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 character earlier in the season. If we had been watching, uh, you know, watching our favorite show every Friday night. Anyway, Jim doesn't have a great opinion of him, especially because he keeps saying that this is clearly a suicide. I mean, mm-hmm. what other explanation could there be for a body to be on the ground outside of a window? <laughs> yes. Um, and Jim's like, well, what about how her phone call to me said there's someone trying to kill her? <laughs> He's like, well, that could be explained lots of ways. What about her being in a hospital gown? Like, well, I just got here. I haven't started checking out the hospitals yet. Uh, Frank tells Jim that he's a civilian and has no status. And Jim responds with, I'm also the complainant who called your department three hours ago and got treated like a Duncan yo-yo by two (laughs) cops who dashed off to a murder scene. That must have been the Consuelo Hooper murder. That's a good, clean murder, Rockford. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, he has lots of experience. And in his experience, this is a suicide. And Jim, uh, what, six weeks at last count? That's a long time when you work 10-hour days. Ask my wife. That's his his character trait, I think, when he was from the earlier episode, was that, like, yeah. he's also newly married. So he's, like... Trying to find that work-life work yes, yes. balance. There's a couple jokes about him later that are, you know, relating mm-hmm. to his uh, splitting his attention between work and the things around the house. So this is a wrap on this actor, W.K. Stratton. Mm -hmm. Um, He was also in The Hawaiian Headache as Dwight Whipple, who I think was the guy who got murdered in The Hawaiian Headache. Yeah, I can't remember. Don't quite remember the plot, but I remember the name. Heck of a name. Yeah. (laughs) Anywho. Yeah, so we're right off to the races. I think we obviously are on Jim's side here. There's no... Mm -hmm. He is clearly right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's no evidence to to complicate Jim's uh, interpretation. So there's a joke in the cut here. Uh, that's a long time when you work 10 hour days. That's a long time. And then we cut mm-hmm. to Becker. A long time. I've been on this phone for 20 minutes. <laughs> Excited to see Becker. Excited to see Becker. Excited to see Billings. Mm-hmm. Billings. Jim comes in. Everything's a bustle downtown. 
And yes, Billings, what's going on? We've we've hit a string of like episodes where Billing gets a line, and here's another one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Billings, what's going on? Are you kidding? That Argentine playgirl, the one that married that rock star, got popped tonight. The press room is jammed with reporters. Mm-hmm. As we will put together, uh, slash, you know, what is being given to us. That particular 187 call was for this murder, Consuelo Hooper, who is a Argentine playgirl married to a rock star named Stevie Hooper. Mm-hmm. So Becker is very concerned with trying to talk to Stevie. That's his uh, his arc in this episode. Is he going to talk <laughs> to Stevie? There's a good joke where Jim comes into Becker's office and starts talking to him about his concern while Becker's on the phone trying to talk to someone in London <laughs> about his concern. So he doesn't hear what Jim is saying and they have a humorous miscommunication about what they're talking about before they get on the same page. But he tells Jim that Ducey is on the case. Uh, <laughs> let him handle it because Becker's on the Hooper case and it's a real popcorn machine. Um, but Jim needs his help. Carol meant a lot to him once, and he knows she was murdered. Becker reiterates, give his ideas to Dusenberg. He's a real good kid. And then he gets a phone call. Jim sighs, walks out to see who I noted as a woman. But <laughs> yeah, just clearly a woman. just a woman, just some random woman. Commander Wilma Deering. Put some respect on that. <laughs> <laughs> Yelling at Ducey. Mm-hmm. Carol would never kill herself in a million years. Jim thinks that she's someone he should talk to. Mm-hmm. For more reasons than one. <laughs> well. But in the beginning, it's one reason. <laughs> we go to the Owl and Turtle Lounge. Ah, uh, it's a great name. <laughs> where we uh, see Jim talking to who we start start off referring to as Miss Hatch. Mm-hmm. We do eventually get her name Alta, mm-hmm. uh, which is a moniker uh her real name is Margaret. There's a thing here where I think she uses Alta to sound taller than she is, I think is what they were implying. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we, the picture we get here. So Carol was a model. Alta, as I think we will call her for for, for our purposes, uh, was also a model. And that's why they were friends. Carol was special to her. Jim, she was special to him, too. There's banter about uh, her, her personality. She's a counterpuncher. Jim's just trying to connect so that he can find out more, right? Mm-hmm. And she's being pretty uh, passive-aggressive with him, and so he calls that out. But that ends up being a point on which they can relate. <laughs> Jim <laughs> says that he has a bit of that in his personality, too. But Alta's conviction, not just that she knew Carol personally, but that like she was a high-fashion model. This is in the preview montage. You know, she would never cut her wrists or basically do something gruesome. Right. The way that models do it, is pills and a full mm-hmm. face of makeup. I don't know. I've, I've never been a model in that situation. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I've never been a model in that specific situation. Right, right. I just want to be clear. I may have been a model. Mm-hmm. We're not saying one way or the other. But uh, it, it does feel a, a little bit... Sometimes we get this on the Rockford Files, which is like a little bit of... Let's assume that's that's true. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit of, uh, I don't know, it's a bit of profiling, right? Like, yeah, yeah, this yeah. kind of person would never do that. And, like, yeah. that is true in this episode. She did not commit suicide. But, yes. like, it's kind of irrelevant whether it's because she was, you know, a model, yeah. right? I think it mainly stands out to me largely because, as audience, as you noted before, none of us are thinking she committed suicide. We don't have to be convinced. Mm-hmm. So uh it's fine i think in context of the rest of the episode it's more like establishing that 
the world of fashion is one of appearances, right? Right. Yeah. That's the theme that we're that we're starting off with here. We're going to quote learn unquote a lot about the world of fashion in this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, Jim says he's going to check the hospitals because she's wearing the hospital gown. She asks if he has a client or if he's working for himself here. And this is when he says he's a counterpuncher too. He, yeah. You know, he's going to react. He's reacting to, to something that's happened. This is when she says to call her Alta. Did you make that up yourself? <laughs> yeah, we get the implication that it makes her sound taller, but that she was a model, but she kind of, she, she ended up. I term it washed out of modeling. That's not how she mm-hmm. puts it, but uh, she's an inch too short and uh, doesn't have the editorial quality that Carol had. She wants to get out of there. She's exhausted, was on a plane. She needs to be at Masters in the morning. Masters, the the fashion designer? Well, mm-hmm. she's not a model anymore. Now she's a lighting engineer, <laughs> which <laughs> I appreciate. Yeah, that's a good that's a good career switch. She's gone into the trade. <laughs> Outside the lounge, we get some conversation to inform us about this person, Masters. He's a high-end designer who owns a string of boutiques, rents a 20s silent, era, uh, silent film era mansion, originally from the East Coast, is working in L.A., but mm-hmm. there's all this banter about the fashion world looks down on California. I don't know if that's supposed to be a joke or if that's just right a difference in time like i don't know if that's just like a reputation that just has changed over time so it just seems kind of weird to me yeah it seems it's, it seemed weird to me too so maybe that's the case i mean I, if you ask me what the fashion capital of the u.s was i i would be green bay wisconsin right right but then like second place new york city probably yeah. right like right but but if you're going to say two You'd say New York and L.A., right? I would say, if I were to say three, I would say Green Bay, Wisconsin, New York City, and L.A. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Now that I'm looking at this, you know, going through it again, I wonder if this is supposed to be kind of a, like, if this whole thing is a gag, like this whole idea of, like, the fashion world doesn't know what to make of Southern California, and no one wants to be here. Like, is that a gag? Because that's not actually how it is. (laughs) Or is that how it actually was at the time and things have just changed? I I just don't know. Yeah, it's hard to tell. She does have a thing about how, like, it's possible that Southern California is the future. Right, right. And that's why Masters is here, because he's not a Mm -hmm. traditionalist. He's kind of anti-old couture. Yeah. You know, he's avant-garde. Italian designers divide Italy at Naples. Everything south of that is Africa. Couturiers divide California at Hearst Castle. South of that is Oz. So the big problem here is trying to figure out what the munchkins will go for. <laughs> it's like it is a long walk to a the hell of a punchline. Yeah. yeah. So why does Master stay? It's because his modern approach sells well, seems to sell here. Uh, and he's not in competition with the old houses. Yeah. Asks if she wants to look to her hotel. She doesn't know if she she's staying at the same hotel that's like a fashion hangout where mm-hmm. um, Carol had been living. But she thinks it would be, you know, too sad to be there tonight. Jim offers her his couch and we have uh, some mm-hmm. non-flirting flirting or some flirting non-flirting. An, uh, an anti-flirt? I don't, I don't know what you would call it. No invitation to the master suite. Mm-hmm. And Jim says, I'm not looking for action just to be a friend. Mm-hmm. And this is where she gives him her first her, her actual name, which is Margaret, and says that she's was it her family's from Oregon and they're dairy farmers or something like that. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> just so you know, just so you know. I, I, I've got that same background you got there, Jim. His line where he's like, I'm not looking for action. I just want to be a friend. Like, that's very straightforward. No, seriously. Like, you're welcome to sleep on my couch. Yeah. No, no expectations. No one, you know, like, it's fine. Just if it'll help you out, mm-hmm. you're welcome to it. And uh, I haven't mentioned yet, but I live in a trailer. (laughs) True. That hadn't come up yet. (laughs) You're a former fashion model. You're used to a little, like, you know, silent silent movie era uh, (laughs) mansions. We'll be on the beach, though. We'll be on the beach. It's a bit of a a, a joke. Uh, Starting off our next scene with some voiceover driving the Firebird uh, on the way to, to Masters. Just point them out and I'll take it from here. And so we go to the camera discovering our our friend here, Masters. We only get the he's he's a one name, a one name guy. Right. He's Madonna. So our, our friend Renee, uh, in a full khaki number, um yes. <laughs> with the French heel shoes, um, mm-hmm. amazing glasses. Uh, it's just the cast. Like I just, yeah. I mean, no, he's I'm a, good. I'm a big, I'm a big, uh, big fan uh, of the of of Odo, um, mm-hmm. as we know him yeah. of him. But like, I don't know. Anytime he pops up in something that I'm watching, I'm like, oh, great! Like he was in like a Frasier, and I was like, ooh, yeah, yeah. He was so much fun. Uh, he yeah. can chew a scene, and yeah, they they give it to. I think about this often because there are just there's certain actors out there that just can. Uh, I think a way to say this is that um, you can imagine him playing opposite of a Muppet, yes. right? Yeah. Like he could do that. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a skill every actor has, <laughs> but he certainly probably does. He has that quality. It's actually kind of interesting in contrast to James Garner, right? Because like Garner has this quality where the role, any role that he's in, he's completely committed to bringing, hmm, how to say this? Okay. So James Garner and Rene Aubergine, I think are equally committed to their craft. Right. But the way that Garner acts is so him is distilling his personality into yeah. like some real focused, you know, direction. Um, while Renee over here is like so completely committed to the bit. Yes. That he yes. becomes the bit. Yeah. <laughs> and I just appreciate that. I don't know. They're, it's it's a good it's a good pair. Uh, I mean, spoilers, he's Rockford's foil in this. Right, and right. it's a good, like, he's a he's not up to the task of being Rockford's foil. Like, as a character. Yeah, his character isn't. But the I mean, the actor certainly is. Like, yeah, I yeah. like the chemistry between them. And by chemistry, I mean some simmering anger <laughs> <laughs> something. Uh, it's it's so good. This is this is one of those episodes where I'm like, I mean, this is the just watch the episode episode for sure. Uh, there's so many things where I'm like, I should just cut this in. I should just cut this in. And then all of a sudden I'm just trans, I'm just putting all of the audio from the episode into our show. And that's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now what we're here to do in the scene we're about to, to talk about not to, to, to get into it before we get into it. Mm-hmm. There's a thing that happens in mysteries a lot where somebody, they don't necessarily have to be the guilty party, but they, um, are putting on something that's akin to a lie. Like they're, yeah. they're, they're behaving in a way. They have something to hide. They have something to hide, right? And then they get caught and they have to, to switch. So, that, you know, they have to like step back. And it's not that they go honest. They go to a different lie. And like he does this in this scene very capably so that it's very plausible that he is not covering up for a lie. But we as the audience 
it's as if he's looking directly at us and saying, I am. Just so you know, I am. Mm-hmm. But for mm-hmm. everyone else here, this is a very plausible thing that I'm doing, unless they're Rockford <laughs> seeing through it. And a lot of that is just all... Um, well, all of that's just acting. That's just how they're both <laughs> of them are acting. acting. And it's it's just, just acting. acting. It's just acting. How how hard can it be? <laughs> <laughs> so you know he sees mm-hmm. he sees Alta come in. Jim kind of hangs back. She says something about Carol, and it's like we're all working through the anguish. It's the only way. Mm-hmm. It's giving directions to people, setting up. <laughs> he's setting up a, a a new collection fashion show. Yeah. So he's getting all the staging set up and stuff, and he tells Alta his lighting plan where he wants stuff. There's this great moment where he's midstream. He sees Jim, pauses, yes, and then turns back, finishes what he's saying, and then he goes over to Jim and leads off with, who let you in? <laughs> Some great banter to uh, kick off their relationship. Private detective. Now, there's a really creepy occupation. Well, we can't all be fortunate enough to sell old French paratrooper pants to fashion-conscious middle America. Don't knock what sells, buddy. <laughs> Jim says that he thinks Carol was murdered. That sends Masters off saying, we can't think about that right now. And he starts referring to himself in the third person. Mm -hmm. We have this logistical headache. And he walks away and then he starts talking to himself in the third person. My, 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 aren't we (laughs) obsessed with our little problems? We despise what we just said. And turns (laughs) back to Jim and says he can have all the time he needs. Ah, So good. And Jim we just want to ask some questions. And then he immediately spins around again. I'm sorry about that little affectation. We picked it up in Milano last season. <laughs> uh, referring to Milan as Milano, also an affectation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so great introduction. 10 out of 10 would continue watching yes. episode. Oh, it's good. It's Yeah, he's a great character. I was just as excited to see him as I was Aaron Gray. <laughs> <laughs> we go to Master's office. He's back to the first person. He's had a bad week. So Jim and Master's are, you know, mm-hmm. getting into it finally. Carol and Consuelo both died. And he's taken on, he's volunteered to take on designing Consuelo's burial gown. Which <laughs> Jim is like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Masters asks Jim if he's working for someone. Carol was a friend, and Masters doesn't think she she's the sort to commit suicide. There's mm-hmm. nothing suicidal about her. But she did run with a rough crowd, and the latest was a leather model from Barucci's. He has his own theory about what happened, but with Barucci so eager to sue, he doesn't want to discuss it. So then, then that's when he asks Jim about the confidentiality. He specifically says, like, my clients are confidential, of course, unless it goes to court in which case i could be yeah put on the stand and then i would have to i think he says and then i would have to talk about it or i would have to answer questions or something and uh master says if it goes to court we're all answering questions (laughs) (laughs) this is foreshadowing yes he does ask jim to work for him to explore his theory i'll pay your price (laughs) yes it's 250 a day plus expenses jolly good Masters shows Jim he has this, like, bespoke fabric for his, like, new original mm-hmm. design. Explains that boutiques uh, buy the design uh, or buy the pattern and reproduce them stitch for stitch under a licensing agreement. So it's all, you know, uh, uh, he keeps the IP, right? Like, it's... Right, yeah, uh, yeah, that's yeah. his. That's, like, his product, right, is, like, the pattern. That's the thing that he needs to keep, like, secret so that other people don't steal it. Yeah. But two patterns are missing from a dressing room that Carol had access to. 
So he thinks that her her boyfriend may have coerced her into stealing them to give to Barucci or something like that. His models are grown-up street urchins from Naples. <laughs> While he's talking to Jim, he's sketching the uh, burial gown. Like so, he's like sketching on a like a woman lying in a coffin. Yeah, uh, Jim also has some good facial expressions as he sees this happening. But Jim will start with the leather models. Cut to a twee little Italian man yes. <laughs> wearing all leather, including a hat, showing off his jacket. Bella. <laughs> Jim is in full Jimmy Joe Meeker. Yeah. Oh. With, with the tall hat and the turquoise bolo tie. This scene. Um, watch the episode. It's a good scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this this scene is full of pure Rockfordishness. Yes. <laughs> and Rockfordisms. Jimmy Joe Meeker has a lot of great lines. We are dealing with three individual Italians. One is Pietro, who is the uh, the the model who does not speak English. Mm-hmm. One is Luigi, who is the... Actually, we don't know if this is actually even true, I guess, by the end of the episode. But theoretically, the boyfriend, who right. may have led um, Carol astray, who does speak English. Uh, and then there's a unnamed woman who is kind of in charge of the so, so jim's at barucci's which is like the leather goods yeah. italian fancy place store anyway yeah so sophia i guess is the character's name anyway she's she's the one actually like running the store and so she's the one that jimmy joe meeker ends up talking to he lays on really thick uh we get some jimmy Joe Meeker backstory, even we do we, a little bit. Yeah, we learned that Sue Ellen is his saddle mate, uh-huh. <laughs> and he's looking to 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 outfit her in a you know so in a getup that that's going to impress even his poker buddy who uh, quote spends money like it's West Virginia ditch water, <laughs> and so he, he's always outfitting his wife in all the latest mm-hmm. and greatest, and it's making Jimmy Joe look bad. So mm-hmm. he needs to get just the best outfit for for his saddle mate. He, he wants some real prime goods to spend a lot of money on. And he's been told up and up and down Rodeo Drive, <laughs> which I believe this is my lack of L.A. knowledge uh, showing. Rodeo. Rodeo, right? Yeah. So so that's a meekerism, right? Yeah. Rodeo Drive. Um, he's been told that they have a back room for the special buyer who doesn't care what the price tag says. Mm-hmm. And I was told to talk to Luigi about it. He can help me out. So this kind of is overwhelming. Uh, this woman, Sophia, she she has a pretty heavy accent. I think the idea is that we're we're supposed to get the idea that she's a little like not quite sure what to make of him. Uh, maybe doesn't quite understand what he's getting at. She does bring him into the back room to talk to Luigi, and <laughs> she's distracted to talk to someone else. So he has a moment to talk to Luigi alone. There's a bit from the preview montage of "Oh, you mean black market goods?" <laughs> Jim's like, "It's not the first time I bought something off the back of a truck." So Luigi says, well, Barucci himself will have to sell it to you. And then he mm-hmm. leaves. <laughs> and then we <laughs> cut to Jim turning down a, bu- a couple of dresses for Mrs. Meeker. Then th- uh, there's a phone call. Jim kind of, we see him overhear her mention Consuelo Hooper mm-hmm. while he's fading to the back to unlock the back door while nobody <laughs> yes. notices. And then he comes back, which is very slick. Jim asks her about it. Uh, Mr. Barucci is in town. He has a funeral ground for Consuelo, but they just found out 
that her will specifies that her funeral gown be done by this French couturier. <laughs> so everyone's up in, in an uproar. We go back to the showroom where Jimmy Joe says that, well, I want to talk to Mr. Barucci. I want to see the special goods that only he can sell. We finish his his presence there with a line. So you tell Mr. Barucci that Jimmy Joe Meeker from Houston is willing to come to his party. You see, one of the only joys on this earth that money can buy is knowing that you got the best. So you sit tall, honey. And don't you rope no one-eyed Angus. <laughs> uh... Uh, really good, Major um, Jimmy Joe Meeker. Yeah, not Major Joe Me. Major Joe Mimi. Yeah, Major Joe Mimi. And we're not done with Jimmy Joe yet. He still has like one last gasp in this yes. episode. <laughs> this is not our last Jimmy Joe appearance. We have one episode, uh, one of our one of our lost episodes that we'll have to revisit that has Jimmy Joe in it. Will be his final oh. appearance. So we're not closing the book on him yet. So <laughs> we still have Jimmy Joe to look forward to. Well, Jimmy Joe, he'll be the first fictional person we're rapping on <laughs> and he's fictional within the universe mm-hmm. right so he's doubly fictional yes like he's he's two layers this is getting meta it's all it's all bores all the way down yes <laughs> it's time for us to take our traditional intermission as we all need a little break to head out to the lobby take a little stretch get a snack a drink reflect on what's come before and anticipate what's to come in this episode of the rockford files We also like to take this time to remind you of where else you can find us on the internet. Epi, where can our listeners find you? Well, you can find me at my website, dig1000holes.com. That's 1000, the number. Uh, Or you can find me as Epidiah on the Mastodon instance, dice.camp, or on co-host. Where can our listeners find you, Nathan? All of my games, zines, podcast projects, and other work are at ndpdesign.com. You can also find me at NDP on co-host and over on Instagram at ndpdesign.games. And of course, you can always find this show, 200 a Day, at 200aday.fireside.fm. And now we return to the continuing adventures of Jimmy Rocco. Well, we see, I was a little unclear whether this is supposed to be later that day or if he literally walks out and then just turns and goes around the building and goes right back in. <laughs> I mean, I took it as that second option, yeah. but that maybe it was supposed to be later that day, but whatever. it could have gotten locked at some point. I think he was mm-hmm. just rushing back in because he's only got a certain window of opportunity here, right? So he comes back into that storeroom that he had unlocked earlier. Then we see a light flashing on like a security console somewhere. <laughs> so he clearly has gotten picked up by a security system. Uh, he pokes around in the storage room. We know it's the storage room because the light, the blinking light says storage room. <laughs> and then he is surprised by our goon squad of uh, Sophia and the pair of Pietro and Luigi suddenly appear behind him. <laughs> she says, uh, you think you can steal from us? Uh, advanced security system, motion detectors mm-hmm. and cameras like you think we're stupid. Uh, and she basically ha- tells them to throw him out. She leaves. We have a joke from the preview montage where Jim says, let's talk about this. And Pietro <laughs> reiterates, no English. <laughs> then there's like, some some meaty punches. Yeah. Jim does not have the drop on these guys. They overwhelm him fairly quickly. Literally throw him out the back door <laughs> and toss his hat after him. I'm, I'm surprised they gave him the hat, but that was great. 
And then they go back in and we leave. We end the scene on Jim's chow. I was expecting a more severe consequence. Right. So I was thinking the same thing. We know murders on the line. Right, right. There's one good clean murder. <laughs> right. And then there's uh, Carol's murder. And they probably are related. I think that's what we're thinking right now. Yeah. This this also comes up in the um in the text in a in a in a minute, but like everything that Jim is doing, he ends up stumbling over Consuelo's murder. Yeah. So like I think as an audience we're like well, clearly they're related. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're just trying to find out we're just waiting to find out why. And we've had all this buildup about Barucci and trade secrets and all this stuff. My vague recollection of the plot did hinge more on like some kind of trade secret situation but i think that might be getting conflated with a different episode that is not this episode (laughs) yeah i am at this point confused as to uh who who did the murder and why yeah what's the motive if it's over this trade secret thing you would think that that his life would be in as much trouble yeah they kind of like give him a couple gut punches but they don't even really like work him over right they just literally toss him out and it's like oh okay i guess they're not up to anything <laughs> like mm-hmm. there's, there's something about the quality of the assault <laughs> yeah it's, like, it's, it's more like you snuck back in you shouldn't have let's get rid of you yeah we are back in jim's trailer uh alta is telling him that she could have told him that brugis had tight security yeah masters could have too but he didn't mm-hmm. maybe he thought you'd know uh she's giving him a, a little neck rub to alleviate his soreness from, <laughs> from getting beaten up we should call out what she's wearing the peach popped collar and it's it's good it's good she has consistently fashionable clothes yeah i think a lot about masters is is a bit right a lot about like his yeah. clothes and stuff are kind of uh, exaggerated kind of jokey kind of thing and even with the leather like outfit yeah. with the Italian guys like that stuff is a little jokey. And I feel like I didn't even really remark on her clothes in particular because they look right. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, I kind of feel like as someone who actually was a model, she probably was like, Oh no, <laughs> yes. I would wear this. Yeah. This actually looks good on me. Masters. And, uh, what's, what's the other guy's name? The leather guy, uh, uh Pietro. <laughs> I mean, Luigi also is wearing like a little tiny vest. But um, th- their vision of fashion, as we'll learn, mm-hmm. is is like the Warriors. The movie yeah. The Warriors. <laughs> fashion is made up of highly themed gangs. Big statements. Yeah. yeah. Well, she's just wearing like good looking clothes that are probably expensive. Yeah. But uh, yeah, she explains that Masters has even tighter security for his stuff. He depends on surprise and impact. So his models don't even have fittings until the day of the show. That's how secretive he is. Jim asks what the attraction of such a high-strung industry is. <laughs> hmm. It's a power trip. You're dealing with customers who have everything, and now they want the best of everything. For a woman, that means uh, how she looks and what she's wearing. She starts gathering her stuff, and Jim's like, hey, where are you going? <laughs> she can stay on the couch if she doesn't care about the man, but she mm-hmm. likes Jim. She sees why Carol called him. She would call him, too, if she were in trouble. She's staying at the Sand and Surf down the beach and gives <laughs> him her room number. There we go. Just in case. This is a slow, a slow burn of mm-hmm. the romantic development here. <laughs> we go to uh, 
the police station where Billings is bringing in uh, the last of the Consuelo Hooper inventory for Becker to review. Jim is there. Becker's like, take a look at this and like hands him like the list. (laughs) 274 pairs of shoes. Jim asks about what's all this drug paraphernalia. Apparently it's all over the house. Um, Jim pokes around in the box. Uh, So we see him notice and pick up this pair of like bent scissors that are yes. surgical, some kind of surgical instrument. Yeah. So I'm like, Oh, well, that's important. Cause Jim picked it up and looked at it. <laughs> it's important. Cause it's cause of that. Cause it, it looks out of place and we haven't had a clue yet as to why she's wearing a medical gown. Oh no. I, like at this point I didn't piece those two together. So I just found it important because I was like, all right, this doesn't match anything we've seen so far. Sure. And so I guess, yeah, I was like, it's important because it has something to do with medical something. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, if you didn't recognize it as a medical <laughs> instrument, then it's just like Jim picked it up. He clearly is interested in this thing. Yes. There's also like a leather whip in there or a couple of them and he asks how do you list this dennis novelties <laughs> jim has a complaint dusenberg is closing carol's case as a suicide mm-hmm. uh but it's clearly not etc but becker doesn't have time to help i think this is where he says like i should never let them make me a lieutenant or something like that <laughs> um and he kicks jim out he's like i need to work get out of here <laughs> <laughs> we go to Jim uh, asleep on his couch with the uh, clearly <laughs> having fallen asleep with the TV on as it's just showing static. Uh, TVs used to show static because things would stop being on TV at a certain point. <laughs> There's a panicked knock on his door and we hear a woman's voice yelling. Is there anyone in there? I need help. I need help. Jim goes to open the door. This woman stands to the side and two goons <laughs> swoop in. My notes are like, Jim, it's a trick. I don't know what to tell you. It's don't answer the door. Why would you answer your door? I did have this moment where I was like, is it Alta? Like, just because, yeah. you know, we haven't had any other women in the episode. Uh, but it is not. But yeah, it's two goons. There's a craggy face goon and a bald goon who grab Jim at shotgun point, <laughs> And he has a good facial like eye roll. Like, oh, of course. Yes. This bit is awfully dramatic. Yes. We cut right to a remote cabin of some kind. It's night. Our goons push him out of the car. There's a little bit of dialogue. Hey, there's some mistake. They they herd him into this cabin. We have a shot of all these rats crawling on mm-hmm. the rafters. <laughs> Why are you doing this? And one of them says, just protecting our investment. And it's like, oh, they're going to shoot him. Like, like I yeah, usually you're like, oh, someone wants to talk to him or whatever. But like the dude with the shotgun is just like about to shoot Jim in the face and Thankfully, that's when a rat <laughs> jumps off the rafters, lands on one goon who like flails in surprise, knocking the other goon off balance. Jim makes a dive for it. Uh, he gets the shotgun down, takes a shot. We see Jim kind of disappear out of the there's like a door or something at the back. And one of them says, you got him. And then we see Jim rolling into the underbrush. Wait, I think Jim jumped through the window. Did we sit? Was it a window? I wasn't. Yeah, I I wasn't quite sure exactly what the exit was. I think he jumped through a window because I remember thinking, what? Like, (laughs) like, (laughs) that's pretty dramatic. Maybe I'm wrong, though. Maybe I I miss misread what it was probably. It was probably a window. It would make more sense than there being another door. It doesn't matter. I was Mm -hmm. not rewinding to double check because the important thing (laughs) that someone says you got him. Then we yes. see Jim rolling into the underbrush and holding his back. Yeah. The goons look for him. 
It's all dialogue. We don't see this on the screen. <laughs> oh, a light just came on. They must have heard the heard the shot. Let's go. <laughs> but what about no, you got him. It's time to go. <laughs> he he's down. And so they mm-hmm. they scram and we cut to Jim at the hospital having shot taken out of his back by a doctor. <laughs> Very dramatic. Um but he was lucky. Nothing nothing important was hit. He said it was he was very lucky mm. and Jim is like no, just lucky. Very lucky would have been none of this ever happening. <laughs> he leaves Jim the the bullets as a souvenir. Mhm. The buckshot. Yeah. Jim had called Becker so Becker arrives. What happened? <laughs> Sees that he's not in any critical danger. And this is what you got me off the hoopa case for? I'm sorry, it's just a flesh wound, Dennis, but it is my flesh. You know, they fired these into my body. Just a couple of inches over, I'd be into decomposition. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Jim. This hoopa case got me all fouled up. You know, sometimes I wish I didn't even get promoted. And then great uh, Rockfordism. You know what really clogs my engine? <laughs> <laughs> Consuelo and Carol die on the same night. And Jim mm-hmm. keeps running across Consuelo wherever he goes. Maybe there's just something going on. He has a theory. Maybe the the model fashion rock star circle, right? Like they're in the same 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 circles. Maybe Consuelo rejected or didn't like Master's design, and he killed her. And Carol was a witness or something like that. That's like, well, what's the but why? What's the motive? It's like, well, the it's not so much the why as the what. <laughs> um, that might be later too, but um, yeah, this can't be a coincidence. I just keep running into the same stuff, right? Yeah. Jim's the only one working the murder angle for Carol's death, right? The cops say it's a suicide. Jim says it's a murder. He's investigating and he's the one who gets shot for it. <laughs> so clearly something is going on there. There's a great Becker line. Add some dice and boardwalk to that theory and we'll sell it to Parker Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Well done. Becker's overseas phone call that he's been waiting for days finally has mm-hmm. come in and he lights up like a school child. <laughs> That's for me. And he dashes to get it. And then we have this final shot of Jim looking at the little tray with the, 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 the buckshot. And I didn't realize it was like eight pieces of shot. Yeah. Here. Like it's a lot. <laughs> it is. Uh, for some reason, I don't think the, the soundtrack was doing this, but I just heard when I saw it, I I just heard like the sad Charlie Brown music. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> like it's just like Jim's left alone with his buckshot. Yeah. We go to Jim wearing a black armband as he attends mm-hmm. Consuelo's wake. He gets in by pretending to be from the mortuary. We prepared Consuelo. <laughs> his head cosmetologist kind of went off the deep end. I think we fixed it all. It's not quite raggedy Ann. Or something like that. Yeah. But we just want to like check. And I think the, the, the guy is just like a guy, you know, checking invitations or whatever. He's like, well, we haven't had any complaints. <laughs> it's just like, well, what would, what would someone say? Yeah. <laughs> he good. wants to make sure they caught everything. So Jim goes in so that we have a reason to be there to watch this confrontation where oh, uh, Monty, the French uh, couturier who did the gown because he was the one in the will is confronted by masters. Uh, Monty, are you coming to my collection? <laughs> Your designs are an accumulation. <laughs> Sick burn. Yeah, got him. Yeah. And then uh, your gown is appropriate. You should design exclusively for the dead. 
Mm-hmm. Very that good. Burn. I believe Sophia intervenes. Uh, like we don't want a repeat of what happened in at in Milan last year or whatever. <laughs> Seems like things are taking a step back, but then our French guy Monty throws his drink in Master's face. A mon couturier, you are considerate a Schneider. A Schneider. Hmm, excuse me a moment, would you? Masters returns the favor. Thank you so much. They exchange slaps. I, what, before we get to the slaps, I, I do want to point out that Masters, the business here is that he stops oh, yeah, yeah. a waiter uh, who's going around with the champagne to get a new glass of champagne, the new full glass to throw in his face. And it's just, it's exquisite. And then I want to just talk about the meaty sound effect for these slaps. <laughs> I beg your pardon. They're meatier than the punches. Yes, yes. And I think it's meant to be. Yeah, I think there's even a line like, in my father's day, we would we would have pistols in the lawn by now or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So it's uh it's very serious. Masters leaves. We then have rock music uh, in the soundtrack, so we know that a rock star has arrived. Yeah, well. Well. (laughs) So Jim happens to come out as his car pulls up, and this dude, he's in a short sleeve pirate shirt. Yeah. Black and white horizontal (laughs) sleeves, short sleeves, but then the black armband on his arm underneath, like below the sleeve. It's such a funny look. And he gets out and he Jim's the closest person. He has this like, I don't know, Liverpudlian accent, right? And he's like, Yeah. You know, oi mate, are we okay to go in? And Jim, you know, I'm like, oh, this is the rock star. And there's like a girl with him. I'm like, oh, that's tasteless. But then we learn that it's not Stevie Hooper, the rock star. It's mm-hmm. this guy that Stevie sent to <laughs> attend on his behalf. And he says, the things I've done for that bloke fill a bloody book. <laughs> so I, at this point, I'm like, how is Stevie Hooper wrapped up in all of this? And he's not. He's, not. he's just not. Yeah. He's just not. This is just a, a dig at the rock star lifestyle that we occasionally get throughout the Rockford Files. Mm, true. This is when Masters comes out. He sees Jim. What are you doing here? I thought you were staking out Barucci's. <laughs> Jim has this theory. So the business here while they're talking is uh, uh, Master's getting in his car and they yeah. end up talking through the window. He asks if Jim asks if Brucci could be into a loan shark and mm-hmm. Master's be serious. We're talking about old couture, not some sleazy ready to wear manufacturer. <laughs> and Jim, there's an expression. No matter how you cut it, it's still the rag business. And then he says, what about your cash situation? <laughs> so I think in like the first scene, there was a phone call that Jim overheard where, where uh, Masters was on the phone with Bancroft. Like, right. To talk yes. like, hey, I need to talk to Mr. Bancroft about something or whatever. I didn't I didn't note it at the time, but, you know, everything in this episode matters. So <laughs> Jim <Yes>. notice. <laughs> so he's like, what about your banker, Bancroft? Uh, have you heard from him recently? I've noticed you've had to close some of your boutiques. And Masters glares at him and drives away. <laughs> and then we cut to Alta holding a piece of paper that says, Notice of Cancellation, the Masters line. One thing I do want to note about that that exchange mm-hmm. is just the line where he's like, you, I'm sorry, or like you, you witnessed, or I just had, I can't remember how he starts this, but yeah. a shabby little street brawl. A shabby Was little street brawl. <laughs> you know, oh, it's so good. And... It is a great line, well delivered. All right, we get we get to our meal of the episode. 
Alta is serving Jim dinner that she's made. It's a mm-hmm. bowl of broth and some crackers. <laughs> a fashion model's feast. <laughs> Go easy on the wheat thins. And Jim says, I think it'd be gastronomically impossible not to. <laughs> so this cancellation was delivered by messenger. It went out at 530, which is after the wake, after Jim mm-hmm. talked to Masters. Jim thinks he really got to him. I asked him about a loan shark. An hour later, he cancels the show and gets out of town. And she says, how do you know he got out of town? He's like, well, I just assume. <laughs> Maybe he hasn't done it yet. <laughs> he wants to know more about this financier, Bancroft. He calls Dennis, who has, in fact, checked it out in the meantime. This guy is as much a banker as you are a jet pilot. He's a real state-of-the-art loan shark, complete with thumbscrews and blackjack. <laughs> so Jim thinks Masters is into Bancroft for the money for this show. Bancroft wants his money back. Masters closes the show. Uh, it's starting to stink. Dennis, do you think you could take a moment and just glance it over? That is, if Doozy hasn't filed it along with a Black Dahlia case. I'll take a look at it, Jim. Your pal. <laughs> I will admit, at this point, okay, I'm sure we'll find out, but I'm unclear how Masters being into a loan shark leads to him closing his show. Yeah, at this point... <sighs> Okay. The, the 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 suspicion has focused on two masters. Jim is suspecting yeah. masters is, has done something, has been involved. He's poked him to see which way he jumped, and he really jumped hard. Yeah, yeah. So, like, clearly masters has done at least one of these murders, right, is my where I'm at right now. Yeah, this is the, the Jim shakes the hornet's nest to see which one comes out. Yeah. Uh, same with me. Like, I'm... Um, all throughout this episode, I'm running low on motivation yeah. right like i mm-hmm. i can't figure out why these women were killed right uh and honestly when we get to the end it's not it, not totally clear <laughs> yeah yeah it's maybe like a, a narcissistic crime of passion if you will or something like that yeah i mean we'll talk about it when we get there i guess yeah. there's some yeah there is something here where it's a little like I either need something more straightforward or a little more insight into the character. Yeah. One or the yeah. other. And I feel like we don't quite get there. So in this next scene, we, we, we find out the truth to a degree. We now accuse uh, masters. We now believe masters is guilty of it. So now we can just watch the private conversation of which right, right. it's revealed. Exactly. <laughs> that <he's> guilty. <laughs> now that's television, baby. Yeah. So Bancroft has made an appearance. He is indeed this loan shark. The goons are his goons. So, Mm -hmm. okay, starting to fall into place. And he's brought Masters over. Uh, He's asked and he's asking Masters the question I have. How are you going to pay me back without running a show? Yes. (laughs) He apparently owes Bancroft half a million dollars. So Masters says if he opens the show, it's going to give the cops or whoever a connection. He doesn't want to give them. Mm -hmm. Right. Bancroft doesn't care. He wants his money. He says, don't you understand? I killed two people. I'll go to prison. It'll ruin the line. (laughs) (laughs) So good. So good. Bancroft wants him to contact everyone and uncancel the show. His goons are going to escort him on stage to make sure he stays safe. And his line is, we live in a crazy society. Mm hmm. This guy kills all these people in New York. He gets a book deal out of it. Who knows what's going to happen? All I know is I'm getting my money back. Yeah, I I feel like there's this clear implication of, um, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that if he does this fashion show and is found 
and the cops figure out that he's guilty of the murder, that's only going to make his line more interesting to people and it's it's I going guess. to sell more. And so so the the this lone shark, this uh mobster is is like, and then you can pay me back, right? Like you you're you're gonna make a ton of money and uh but but I'm not entirely sure. Uh yeah, and he's like, but I'll be in prison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess well, maybe we'll talk about it at the end. But yeah, th- this yeah. is a part where I was waiting for an explanation, and I find this to be a weak one because it seems like it's pure downside for the loan shark. Yeah. Either he doesn't get his money because he's canceled the show, so he's just going to have to do something else to get the money, mm-hmm. or he puts on the show, gets arrested, goes to prison, and he doesn't get the money, and the guy can't do anything else to get him the money. I think your read of like you being a criminal celebrity will sell your line, mm-hmm. I like that read. Maybe if there was something where it's like, okay, you sign over your company to me and right. you do the show and you go to prison and I make the money, right? Like maybe that yeah. would connect it for me just as like the little piece of like explaining why the loan shark wants him to do it. Because <laughs> otherwise it just doesn't seem like it makes sense for someone who wants to get their money at the end of the day. Unless, unless, and I mean, honestly, this would be a wonderful twist in a Rockford villain. The Lone Shark is just really into his fashion. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, <laughs> he's like, no, the world needs to know about this. But yeah, that also is not the case. Yes, he literally right. says, in my world, all that matters is the money, right? Yeah. Anyway, um, we go to Masters in Silhouette, introducing his new collection. It's antiseptically pure. His concept is this, like, medical chic. There's a setup for this early in the episode when he's talking to uh, Aaron Gray, um, <laughs> Margaret, mm-hmm. um, Alta, Alta Hatch, um, Alta Darling, <laughs> uh, and is explaining to her the lighting situation he wants. I was thinking to myself, what's happening here? Because he wants powerful fluorescent lights mm-hmm. in the background that they're going to come out of. And like, there's just like a, it and, sounds very bright. <laughs> yeah. And, and like uh clinical or whatever. And then we get it, we get what happens. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh, that's good. That's good. I will cut in some of this. Cause part of the joy of this scene is listening yeah. to the description, his oh, overblown descriptions yes. of these, these outfits, the staging is like nurses in like the surgical green like upstage with like a medical bed and then the models come out kind of in front of them. I mean, there isn't surgery happening, but they're, they're mock surgery right, happening right. in the yeah. background, which is just, oh, that's so good. For high disco dash, Charlene features the sexy silhouette of a dusty rose silk jersey bandeau halter and pants with matching gloves. Over this, a forest green surgeon's gown becomes a low calf length disco coat with knit cuffs. To tie it all together for the height of ortho chic, a jade green surgeon's cap worn pinched at the front, veiled and flowered, with matching operating mask, which doubles as a disco bag. Daddy, this is awful. The fashion, however. <laughs> we get voiceover of people hating the looks. Oh, man. One says this is insulting. And mm-hmm. he starts arguing with people who are watching the show. Please be patient. This is a new direction. It's the <laughs> business of haute couture to be daring. <laughs> they are getting rowdy. It is It is amped up to be like, everyone yeah. has this visceral hatred. Negative reaction. Of what yes. he's showing. 
the best he gets is one woman who's like taking notes, like maybe a reporter or something who's like, mm-hmm. oh, I like that. I don't like it that much. <laughs> like, yeah, that's like the best <laughs> he gets. There's a detail on one of the coats of those curved scissors as like the yes. closure. We see Jim see that. And that's when he goes to the phone and makes a call. <laughs> Lieutenant Becker, please. I felt like this was a, a good moment for if there was a mystery science theater, if there was a riff tracks of this episode, and there shouldn't be, this is a good episode, but that would be the moment when somebody would be like, yeah, Lieutenant Becker, please. And then somebody just says, I'd like to report the murder of a career because it just, <laughs> it feels like he's like, they're yeah. going to kill him. They're going to kill him. This crowd is going to tear him apart. We see a goon keeping an eye on Masters. We mm-hmm. see Masters see Jim make the phone call, I think. Yeah. And so that's when he hands the mic to his like assistant and he runs upstairs. <laughs> Jim pursues. I got to say, I can't imagine anyone's happy with the writer with this scene. <laughs> let's have a chase, but let's have it up a bunch of marble stairs. It's pretty uh, high octane. Like, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, the high energy fashion runway music yeah. is also soundtracking the whole thing. And it's got to be murder on James Gardner's Oh, my God. Knees. I know. I was like, I was watching. I was like, oh, Oh, I hope you yeah. <laughs> forget his name, but I hope you got your stunt guy in for this some yeah. of these stairs, because woof. Um, Masters grabs a plane ticket and a tiny little gun out of a drawer, <laughs> takes a shot at Jim when Jim comes in to, to find him, uh, misses. Jim chases him down these stairs, these circular stairs, out onto the drive, down the driveway, and then the goons pop out. <laughs> they start firing. We see one of them hits Masters, who falls mm-hmm. into the bushes. Jim gets to him. We see him. He's holding his like leg or his side or something. Takes his tiny little gun. And there's a gag here where he comes up and he tells the goons to freeze. And they look <laughs> at him and look at the tiny gun and just like chuckle and start moving in towards <laughs> both of them. Uh, but that's when there's sirens. The cops arrive. Uh, they are surrounded. Masters groans. I'm ruined. <laughs> Jim ends ends our scene here with Carol and Consuelo are dead. I'd say you're ahead on points. Two people dead over your insanity over a fashion line. (laughs) We go to our final scene. Jim and Alta, they're looking at a headshot of Carol in a magazine. She was so beautiful. Alta recaps for us. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) To to, to clarify what happened. My notes say, thank you for explaining this. (laughs) (laughs) Masters took Carol with him to see Consuelo to model the new fashion line for Consuelo. Yes. She, she laughed. She said, no, this is the language, but also I think what it's trying to get to is like, when she said, no masters knew that if Consuelo wasn't interested, his line was not going to be successful. Yeah. Right. So when she said, no, he knew he'd be destroyed. And so I guess that is why he killed her. And Carol was a witness. And so that's why he killed her. I guess. So this is why we get Carol running with her purse in in the gown. Scrub in the gown because yeah. this is like she's coming fresh from this moment, right? Where she was modeling the line. So there's there's this very like cold blooded thing mm-hmm. that uh, uh, Masters has done here. Yeah, I I can almost buy it. Like I'm okay with like saying okay. If he doesn't get her, he knows the line is dead, maybe. And also, he is personally offended and enraged. Yeah. I mean, they do spend some time explaining to us that, like, 
he's experimental and he's in Southern California and, and she's the biggest name in Southern California, right? Like this might be his last chance for anything Mm -hmm. and she's killing it. And he owes half a million dollars to a loan shark. So he needs this to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's still just a little too off screen, I guess. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Anyway, to end our episode on a high note, um, <laughs> yes. they're going out to dinner. Jim gets a jacket. Alta says, can you wear something else? That shade of brown doesn't go with anything. In fact, <laughs> I've never even seen it outside of Southern California. So good. He tells her to pick him out something from his closet. There's a joke about, like, as long as there's not a, leisure, a polyester leisure suit. He's like, no, no. But that's when she finds the green Nehru jacket. <laughs> Nehru jacket? Oh, well, I've had that quite a while. Uh, it still fits. Well, maybe it'll come back. Let's go with the brown jacket. Right. Yeah, that's right. Stick with the brown jacket. <laughs> and they, <laughs> they presumably are off arm in arm to go enjoy a nice, quiet dinner together. Yeah. End of episode. This one, uh, lots of good performances in this episode i really like i mean we've gone over it um there's a lot of quotable moments Mm. and whatnot i would say the the only flaw is that i just couldn't even if i buy the motivation Mm -hmm. that that we get at the end um i feel like we need it earlier (laughs) you know what i mean like there's there's like there's a thing there where you're like two people have been killed why Nothing that has come up. Maybe, you know, the the whole um, pattern theft black market thing, even though that was a red herring. Like, I would buy that more. Obviously, it wouldn't be for this for this murder. That would be for the murder of someone to, if like Barucci was found dead because yeah, they had a confrontation over him stealing Master's designs. Like, for some reason, that feels like it would map a little better even the red herrings don't have a motivation that points at these two particular murders that well right so you just spend the whole time going why (laughs) why why are these again this is coloring the episode poorly because it was a lot of fun it is it is a fun episode it is it is a uh it's a great just put it on and watch episode I guess in contrast to an episode that is a little more like, oh wow, I really see the like the layers of the narrative, you know, like it doesn't really have that aspect yeah. of it. It's a little bit like it's a plot in search of a motivation. Yes. I think that's a good way to describe it. I just had this thought, not to always talk about Columbo on our Rockford Files podcast, <laughs> but like if this was exactly the same except that we saw the murder at the beginning, a la Columbo. Yeah, I feel like it probably would hang together more because we would see what that interaction was for Masters, right? Yeah, and you could see Masters trying to push Rockford away and lead Rockford away. Like, honestly, like, we did see that. When I watched it, I was like, yeah, okay, this guy probably did it. Hmm. I think there was a bit of a question of, like, maybe one person did one murder and a different person did the other murder. Like, I thought there might be that kind of yeah complication but, which would be fun but then he's like i killed two people and i'm like oh okay yeah <laughs> even in the beginning rockford says something to him like i have a theory it's a nasty little theory i, I can't remember who he says yeah. it to but it's like revealing that rockford uh, it, hinting that rockford thinks masters did it 
mm-hmm. right, right away. So we're why not just do it? Why not just mm-hmm. give us that and let us watch Rockford solve it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would agree with you. I think this in particular, this episode would have been a little stronger on that regard, especially because it's fun to watch uh masters in rockford yeah exactly it wouldn't take anything away there's because it is a left a little unbaked like not that we need to hear the gruesome details but like was it an accident and then he had to double down because he saw his career dissolving before his eyes was it more intentional so there's like this cold-blooded killer underneath the twitchy exterior of the fashion designer like yeah there are different ways that it would kind of pull together and it's kind of like if we saw him do it we'd actually see why he did it if that makes sense yeah 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 exactly and like i don't really have that too big of a problem with the motivation because he is clearly self-obsessed right like yeah yeah i guess we would need to see that just a teeny bit more right Mm -hmm. like aside from the affectations like you know witness him ruining someone's career or something like Mm -hmm. that like um he is a little pathetic throughout Mm -hmm. uh and so seeing him desperate would be great yeah i mean i guess we see him desperate at the end but that desperation is one where he is fleeing like he doesn't seem dangerous Right. Yeah. There's almost something where it's like if he, I don't know. I'm now, you know, now we're just like re- rewriting a yeah, yeah a script. <laughs> but like, what if at the end he shoots the goon, like he kills the goon who's trying to yeah. like keep him there or something, right? Like, so we see that there's that viciousness mm-hmm. that seems implied by because it's not just the murder of Consuelo, then it's the cold-blooded execution down. of Carol. Yeah, yeah. That like really feels a little out of place. I don't know. I, I agree that these are, this is not really a huge negative for the episode as a whole, because the episode as a whole is really fun. Um, but as story nerds, there is that element yeah. where it's like, <laughs> I kind of wish it was just, for such a tight episode, all the plot, like all the stuff you see on screen, all yes. matters later. Everything is foreshadowed. So like all that stuff is so tight that then the underpinning, the foundation having a little like, Eh, don't worry about it. We've kind of said this before, but like oftentimes the rock profile, rock profiles is great. That's why we're here. <laughs> and <laughs> it brings it to a point that where the things that the, the rough patches or whatever, mm-hmm. you then start thinking. Start to obsess over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, it's so close. It's, it's so, so close. <laughs> I think that's how I feel about the loan shark. Like it's so close yes. to something that I would, like, if I was doing it, but it's kind of like, it's like one script revision away one punch up away from like making a really fun really rockfordy connection between why this lone shark wants him to do the show yeah i threw out my idea which was like you know sell me your company so that i will have your patterns after you go to jail i'm like that is that is a rockford move right there (laughs) all right not to indulge this too much but let us indulge imagine uh, that the murder goes down this way, that uh, the loan shark is putting pressure on Masters to pay him back. And Masters is telling him, uh, I am going to uh, get this uh, model, to th- the most famous model in Southern California. Consuelo Hooper will model my line. Yes, it's all but guaranteed. I just have to show her. And then so the loan shark is like, well, I want to be there when you show her. Mm-hmm. And they go 
and he's all nervous and like we don't necessarily have to see this but like they show her and she rejects him and the loan shark is like no you're doing it and she says no and she gets killed by the loan shark or one of his goons mm. like in an attempt to try and threaten her to d- to do it right and then carol runs and the loan shark's like well you got to stop her mm-hmm. to to uh masters yeah then the loan shark is more entwined in the all the yeah. stuff. Then then he's more of the real villain, and Masters is more of the again pathetic in the dramatic sense. Like yeah. Masters is like due to his own weaknesses is being forced into this role where yeah. he, now he he commits a murder as well, and now he's desperate to thread the needle yes. of like staying then- out of jail and still making good on his commitment because he knows this guy's just going to kill him. And, you know, he can even want to get out of doing the thing. And the loan shark's, no, we've killed people now. Like, it's got to get done. And then maybe he hires Jim to try and, like, break the case. Like, well, if Jim figures it out, I'm not the one who's going to be on the hook because the loan shark will go to jail. Yeah. There's, like, a whole maybe level of, like, and then I'm off the hook as long as Jim doesn't know that I was there. They have that conversation at the beginning about confidentiality, which seems like he's, like, if I hire Jim, then Jim can't testify against me. And Jim's, like, no, I can. I will. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That would also be pretty good. But, yeah, one one script revision away. Uh, fun episode. They're they're making you know whatever twenty six of these a season or whatever. Like yes, <laughs> it's 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 gonna happen. Um, they're not always gonna be a hundred percent as tight as we you know might imagine. We have the luxury of only having to think about it you know for an hour and then moving on with yes. our lives. <laughs> exactly. You think uh, think Jim gets his two hundred and fifty dollars? <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, it was a good. It was a good. Uh, a good play, though. Jim. It was a great good effort. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, I think we have taken spun this one out on the runway for long enough. Long enough for the Nehru jacket to come back. Honestly, <laughs> my last thing. Okay, two last things. One thing is like the obviously the 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 fashion designs themselves. Yes, were were, were <laughs> meant to be a send up of this kind of couture. Right. right. And I was kind of like, I don't know. I think they look fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I guess there was like the surgical green is kind of like the thing. Color is the main problem. Yeah. But um, it's very like, I don't know. I've watched a lot of Project Runway in my time. Like <laughs> this would be a design challenge on Project Runway. Yeah. This I, that context may have may have shifted. There's there's that. And then uh, what was the other thing? Oh, um, other than this kind of context as a as a punchline. I don't actually know what a Nehru jacket is. No, I don't either. <laughs> I think, is it just that style where it's the, the, the collar, the stiff collar and the buttons? Or is it the material? Or is it both? Let's find out. Quick, to the internet. I, I can get one for $300. Mm. Is it green? It's a hip-length tailored coat for men or women uh, with a mandarin collar. I think you're right. So it's the style. It's not like the... It's not like the material. Named after a prime minister of India who wore it. Mm, okay. Okay. So it's like, uh, I don't know, skinny jeans. Yeah. <laughs> a style that was that, that identifies a particular time. Exactly. The 60s, I'm guessing. I Yeah, that seems right. Again, from context of like songs that have jokes about Nehru jackets in them or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. I feel like there's a Weird Al song that has a Nehru jacket joke. I feel like... I feel like it's a joke in 80s sitcoms. It, it would be impossible that there isn't a song. 
my weird outlet that mentions it. Hmm. All right. Well, I guess if there's any Nehru appreciators out there, feel free yeah. to let us know. <laughs> and we, yeah, and we also do have a good amount of uh, listener feedback that's been stacking up. So hopefully, oh, we'll, next time we'll get around to uh, some of that, some of that next time in our next couple episodes. But speaking of next time, it brings us to the part of the show where we say thank you for listening, mm-hmm. and we will be back next time to talk about another episode of the Rockford Files. I think you would look great in a surgical green uh, yeah. half, half cape. 